Are you downsizing? Maybe need more room because of additions to the family, or possibly seeking that dream home you've always wanted. Well, Tim Eisner at Royal LePage Atlantic is the guy for you. With a proven track record and multiple awards, Tim goes above and beyond to find out your needs and exactly what you're looking for. So if you're seeking a new home or trying to sell your current one, contact Tim at 902-499-5717 or check him out on Facebook at Tim Eisner. Again, that's 902-499-5717. Trust me, when all is said and done, we'll be saying Tim Eisner strikes again. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. A couple things before we get to this week's guest. First, have to give out a huge congrats to our pal Steve Mullally on an amazing career as his playing days came to an end last weekend at the Canadian Senior Men's Championships. And of course, he went out in winning style as the Galway Hitman defeated the Toronto Batman in the finals. Lolly, it was so awesome watching you over your career. Not only are you going down as one of the greatest of all time, but you go down as an even better person. Congrats, pal. Also need to give a congrats to another friend of the show, Jaden Hevener, as she announced she was committing to LSU. So happy for you, Jay, and can't wait to see you playing for the Tigers down the road. On to this week's guest, and we sat down and chatted with Texas A&M alum, Athletes Unlimited star, and 2020 Olympian, Tori Vidalis. Tori has had a fantastic career to date. She had a stellar four years with the Aggies, where she would start in all 240 games, win two NFC All-American awards, be named to the 2015 SEC All-Freshman team, while going on to be the career leader in runs scored, total bases, and RBIs. Tori would also represent Mexico at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo and played a pivotal role for them in their fourth place showing. She is now a mainstay at Athletes Unlimited and has participated in all three seasons as well as AUX. We're going to talk to Tori about getting her start in the game, the big role her family played in her development, committing to Texas A&M at only 14 years of age, her time on the national team, AU, and much, much more. Tori was an absolute pleasure to chat with, and this was without a doubt one of my favorite chats I've had on here since starting this. I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy this one. With that being said, grab that drink, sit back, relax, because here we go. I've got the world in my palm, lights, camera, action, it's on. What I'm feeling Ain't never felt this freedom I got the world in my palm Like camera action and song Ain't never felt this freedom Could you, could you say that anything goes Anything goes Anything goes Anything goes Anything goes Anything Go. Well, we are honored to have on with us today, Texas A&M alum, Athletes Unlimited star and 2020 Olympian, the one and only Tori Vidalis. Tori, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. How's things going down in Texas today? They're pretty good. You know, about to get some rain. We need it down here. So it's going pretty good. Can't complain. Right on. I mean, we talked before we started recording here and uh, you're doing a little, little packing. Yeah, I'm actually moving out, you know, um, thankfully for me, it, it all kind of worked out where I was moving out of my place in College Station. And right when I did that, COVID hit. 
because I was supposed to be doing the spring tour with Mexico and it, it worked out that my parents were like, yeah, just come on back. And I stayed here cause I've been so busy. I'm finally getting a chance to, to breathe and, and branch out. Right on. So, so I mean, since AU is wrapped up, are you just more or less been, <laughs> been focusing on the move or have you had time to actually, you know, actually relax for a little bit? I came home and, and my mom, she was like, you know, you get one day to relax and then we're hitting it hard. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> so mom. I, yeah, right. I was like, yes, coach. Yes, coach. Um, going from zero coaches to two in the house. But yeah. um, no, it, it's been good. I've, I've just been getting home, you know, being away for six weeks is tough and mm. just getting everything back in order and on top of that, packing away all my stuff. But it gave me an excuse to deep clean. So I guess... Not all bad things. No, not at all. Well, I feel like we have a, a lot to cover, so I'm going yeah. to jump right into it. We have a, I have a little thing that I like to start the uh, podcast with. I call it Quick Pitches. I'm going to throw out some, some random questions to you and uh, you know, answer them as, you know, if you want to elaborate on them, go ahead. But if, <laughs> if yeah, just a short it. answer, let's do it. First one, if you had to live off one meal for a week, what would it be? Tacos. Oh, oh. Because yes. Only because you can put anything in a taco. 100%. Right? You could put breakfast tacos. You can do just like chicken, shrimp, beef, yep. carne asada. You can do anything you want. So most versatility, I got to go tacos. Totally on board with you that. I'm 100% behind that one. Uh, biggest thing you miss at Texas A&M? Ooh, that's a good one. I would say all the traditions. We had so many, even playing like on the field, you know, we had certain yells that we would do first, third, fifth and seventh inning. We would do like on the pitcher's backswing, we would yell, Hey, and like, wait for the pitch, um, like two outs. We'd be like, uh, or the twos, uh, like two balls, two strikes, two outs would be like twos. Ag. <laughs> and I, I'm in, I'm in AU at the dugout and I'm like, Hey, we got twos. And I turn around and I go, two, Zach. I'm like, who am I talking to? No one knows what I'm doing. Nobody. (laughs) Yeah. So it's funny to like realize how much of that stuff is actually ingrained in your mind, being there for so long and being immersed in in that culture. And and then you leave and it's all over because everybody does something different. So. I, I miss my my Aggie girls that know what I'm talking about. Everybody else looks at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that must take a lot as a freshman to, you know, to take in, is it oh, not? It was. We we dedicated a whole day of practice um, in spring before game day to go over all of like the little nuances that we had, like our warm-up lines, our warm-up jog, our stretching, our um, our chants. Um, our yells are um, like situational things. So it took so much brain power, but by the like first three weekends, you're immersed in it and you're just like, it's like second nature, right? right? Just right. you're copying all the people that come before you. And then by, by the time you realize that you're teaching all the freshmen your <laughs> senior year and you're like, where did all where the, did time the time go? go? Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's crazy. That's awesome though. Um, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the best, rate your karaoke skills. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to go eight. Oh, I'm going to go nice. eight. Not only was it my number, but I feel like I bring the enthusiasm when I go up there. And I'm always going to pick a song that everyone knows, right. right? That's the key to karaoke. That, that is definitely the key, 100%. You have to give people the opportunity to sing along. That way it hides 
my non-singing voice. Right? Very good point. As long as you bring the energy, <laughs> it's all about the stage presence. <laughs> that's so true. Oh, that's great. Uh, if you could go anywhere in the world on vacation, where would it be? I think Italy. I'm dying yep. to go visit Erica Piancastelli, mm-hmm. drink all the little cafecitos I can, eat some pizza. She's always teasing us with this pizza she puts on her story, and I just need to taste it. Yeah. I need it. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally hear you there. I like I had Erica on here as well. And I said, like, Italy is my choice as well. It's been it's on my bucket list since I, I think I was 18 years old. And oh, my God, I still haven't gotten there. But hey, oh, someday yeah. bucket list. we got to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, a few more here. Best thing about doing color commentary. Every game is different. I think uh, a lot of times you get like caught up in um, just the monotony, I guess, of the game, right? There's mm-hmm. three outs, there's a pitcher, there's a hitter, so on, so on. But every game, there's something that happens where either I get a chance to kind of share with the audience where my head was at when I was in a situation that was similar mm-hmm. Or I get to kind of think back on like, okay, why is this happening? What is like, what's going on? What is the message here? And so each game brings something different. And I feel like I come out of each game with a little bit more appreciation for not only softball players, but coaches, student athletes, all the people behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and just appreciation for the game, because it's a game that you'll never be able to master. And being a part of the broadcast gives me a new view of the game that I don't normally get to see when I'm on the field. Right. Right. I'm going to have more questions about this later on in the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could go back and play one game over again, which one is it? Oof. Florida super regionals. Ah, uh, uh, 2018. Yeah, yeah. 2018 super regionals. It's so funny now because, uh, I'm good friends with, you know, uh, Alicia Ocasio and Amanda Lorenz. And when people always ask like, what's one of your favorite moments, theirs is always that game. And <laughs> when people are like, what's your worst moment? And I'm like, that, that game. game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rough one. That was yeah, a rough one. No doubt. Uh, two more here. Best walk-up song you've used over your career. Ooh, so I had one in college that I used for a couple years. It was actually um, one of my friends mixed it for me, and it was Bryson Tiller. And it was two of his songs. And at the beginning, so backstory to this, my social media handles were all at Toryville Slugger, which was a, a great handle that one of my friends in high school thought of. So it was my name for years. People knew me by that. And the song, it said like Louis... Louis Slugger with the hits. And then it like had a lot of like baseball references. And I was like, oh yeah, this is sick. So he like threw on some sirens and like it just mixed it all up to where it sounded so cool. So I would like purposely delay walking to the box so I could hear it a (laughs) little bit longer so I could get (laughs) so I get pumped up. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, last one here. Favorite show to binge watch binge watch it's a tie i always go back to things that i've seen especially when i need just like background noise Mm -hmm. new girl is one of them i will (sighs) laugh four days one of my favorite shows ever oh it's the best undefeated and um criminal minds i watched the whole entire thing in college me my roommate erica russell she was like you have to watch it from the very beginning and i had always seen episodes here and there and 
I kid you not, I was in my bed at night crying over season five. I'm not going to spoil it, but season five hit hard. It hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. But, uh, new girl, I get like Schmidt is probably one of my favorite characters ever in the history of television. Like he is so funny. Max Greenfield. I'm, I am convinced that he wasn't playing a character. He just is Schmidt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very true. That's so true. Oh, like wow. I watch all of his interviews now and I'm like, Schmidt, what are you doing out there in front of the camera? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get home to Nick. Yeah, that's right. Get home to Nick, Jess. And oh <laughs> man, that's a great show. Anyway, let's get on to your career here. Let's as, do it. With every guest, uh, tell us about, you know, getting your start in the game as as Little Tory. Little Tory. I think um, the game was kind of ingrained into my mind and body before I really knew how much of a hold it had on me. Uh, my, my dad played at Texas Tech uh, baseball mm. and my mom played growing up, but ended up playing basketball at a junior college. Um, so... Obviously, when I was younger, we were always trying every single sport. But the big thing was my parents played slow pitch very competitively. And Josh and I, my brother, were always at the field with them from mm -hmm. like as far back as I can remember. And him and I would go on the side of the dugout. And when he was young, before I was there, my dad would come out and toss to him and he'd be swinging the same bat that all the adults were swinging. <laughs> and he'd be like, all right, you got to hit it. So he would toss it up and he would miss for a while. And then he finally got the hang of it. And then he would go chase the ball and bring it back to my dad. And so whenever I was old enough, I became the person that had to toss all the time and had to convince him to let me have a turn. But uh, we started there and I uh, got put in T-ball. And I think what helped me was I was always practicing even as a youngin. And mm -hmm. so my hand-eye coordination was a lot like further along. And my dad actually told me, he said, I went to put you in softball. And then I realized you were playing with five-year-olds that maybe wouldn't be able to handle your throws. <laughs> and oh, he wow. said, and I know that you are feisty and that if they didn't catch the ball, you would get mad. At them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So he put me in T-ball. I'm not sure it was much of a difference, to be honest with right. you. I was running around the field. Well, my mom likes to tell the story that I was picking flowers in the outfield, but it was because I wanted in on the action. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I played T-ball for one year and then I actually went straight to select. I had a, a lot of girls in my town that played select that were a little bit older and they needed a, a player. And so this is so hilarious because I'm the opposite player of what I was, what I am now, mm. but I was this scrawny little, like tiny, super fast. I played outfield and they kind of threw me out there because they didn't really think they needed me. And they didn't think that like I could cost them a game out there, but I ended up making some really good catches nice. and nobody could get the ball by me out there. And so with, full circle now um when i was in outfield in the outfield in athletes unlimited this year my mom was sending me all these pictures of me in the outfield saying like back to your roots back to your roots here you go like you were in the outfield <laughs> so it's funny but i'm like i don't know if i belong out there i'll stick to first but it was it was sure fun that's um, funny i was i was actually gonna ask you that about, about yeah. uh, being in the outfield at au and like 
obviously it's such a different world than than at first. <laughs> like, oh, big time, yeah. big time. But I mean, really, when you break it down, you're going back to what you know, right? True. Yeah. You, you catch it. Yeah. And you have to know, you have to trust that your teammates are going to be behind you, right? Luckily for me, I wasn't in center field. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but um, being in right field, you know, a lot of balls aren't going to go down the line. So my focus is getting to the gap balls. And if I have a chance at it, to mm. go for it and knowing that my center fielder is going to be there to have my back. True enough. Or like I did, let her have it and be <laughs> in the backup position for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, really it's just all footwork, you know, mm-hmm. getting to the ball, seeing the ball. And when you think about it, I have so much more reaction time out there than I do in the infield. So that gives me a little bit of a head start. <laughs> yeah, that's true. See, I find it, I find that opposite with me because I've pitched, I've pitched my entire life. I've been a pitcher and I've been like, they, like if I was to go to practice and st- stand in the outfield and have like mm-hmm. hit fly balls hit to me it it's too much time for me i need like oh i yeah, just i can't judge nervous, i right? can't judge a fly ball yeah it, it's such a different uh depth perception that yeah. you have to work on like at first for me like you're constantly reading the bat angle which you're doing in the outfield but the, you're looking for different things like for me i'm looking okay what is their swing telling me that this ball could possibly come to me right, right. so like lefties if that shoulder is coming through really really fast i know that okay she's possibly gonna hit it this way even on an outside pitch so i have to be ready to go either way which in the outfield i'm reading it off the bat and as soon as it's in the air i know which way it's gonna be i just don't necessarily know the spin right right. once i'm reading spin and getting out to me i can dictate like okay do i have a chance at this ball do i not which I'm sure if I was out there for the whole season, I would probably have a little bit different perspective on like how difficult it is. But um, luckily I only had like three or four balls come to me and, and only two of them were catchable. So yeah, I did my job. That's all that matters. That's right. And I mean, and then you see like people like Aliyah Andrews out there just (laughs) doing what she does. I was constantly asking her like, okay, what do I do on this? What do I do on this? Well, what do you want to hear? Like, um, at the wall or like, uh, in mm. the gap, what do you want to do? And she's like, just giving me all this information. And I'm like, sorry if these questions sound dumb and like, you're talking to a 12 year old, <laughs> but I want to make sure like, if I'm out here, I want to do the best possible job yeah. and not look like a fool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now speaking about, you know, being 12 again, um, yeah, t- let's, uh, talk about some of the people early in on that, you know, may influence your progression in the game. Yeah. Um, for me, definitely a big thing was my brother. Um, Mm. my brother, Josh played at university of Houston, um, for four years. And then he got drafted to, uh, the A's. I forgot what round it was in. It was like the 26th round or something like that. So he played for a little bit and, um, eventually decided to step away from the game and have a a normal life. Um, not a minor league Mm -hmm. life struggling for money, but, um, he was such a big influence, I think bigger than I realized growing up. Um, because we both started as shortstops and everything he did, I wanted to either beat him or be able to play with him. Mm. Right. So we would be like in the, the front lawn of our house and just be throwing around the baseball or, he would go to practice and I would see him do something. And I wanted to try to emulate that. I wanted to try to 
do it how he did it, make it look as good as he did. And mind you, we were completely separate players. Like he was very fast, Mm. very like singles hitter, maybe like gap to gap, um, could steal bases. And, you know, there's me over there that wasn't very fast. I was still agile, but I was nowhere near the type of player that I would categorize him in. Like I would categorize him like a a cis baits type player who oh, wow. she has a little bit of a pop. He's got a great glove, very quick, um, very savvy on defense. Wasn't like going to overpower you in the box, but he was very smart. He knew how to work the count. He knew how to do these things. And then there's me just free swinging, <laughs> trying to hit the ball as hard as I could. Uh, just getting to the ball and making those routine plays. Yeah. Um, but, you know, growing up and he was, he's two years older than me. So, being like almost in his shadow for a little bit, I think helped me find not only my style, but understand like, okay, he's leading this path. If he, if he can do this, what, what's on the table for me? Like, where can he, where can this game take him? And then in return, like if I follow this manual that he has set out, what can I achieve? Right. Now at that time, are you, are you thinking like, are you thinking baseball or are you already, are you on that softball path? You know, no, I was full softball. Okay. Yeah. Like eight, eight years old. I knew that softball was the game for me and right. it helped to that. Like, you know, my mom was always there um, with me, like helping or my dad and, mm. and they knew the game. So it, it gave me a sense of like, okay, like everyone likes being at the field. Everyone loves doing this. I enjoy this game. And so I think that was truly the, the, I guess, stepping stone for me to understand like, Hey, like I could do this for like a really long time. And like, I love to do it. And if I ever need help, like I have two people in my corner that have been there, done that. And my mom, she didn't play collegiate softball, but she can hang with the rest of them in IQ of the game. And just knowing not only how to push me athletically, but also mentally, like just being there and not like feeling like this was her career that she was pushing on to me. Right. Um, But I would definitely, my family, just all of them have been so amazing and in my journey and especially the four of us, we've been so tight for so long and this game has been our life for so long that it's hard to remember a time when ball wasn't life, you know? Yeah. Jeez, having, you know, having family like that, like that's a great mm-hmm. asset to have in your back pocket. Like, you know what I mean? Just to, it, oh, especially it's when it, it's your whole family. <laughs> it, <laughs> Definitely. Is. It, it truly was. And you know, softball, this game is, is so crazy. Like you're spending your weekends at the field, you're spending your weekdays at, at practice and, and working out and doing all these things. But uh, like things that you don't even think about that your family provides for you, like on the way home, my dad would quiz us on situational aspects. Like, like I said, we both grew up as shortstops. And so we would kind of play a little game and, and, uh, my dad would quiz us and we would compete to see who could get the answer the fastest or who could get the most right. And it would be like, okay, runner on first and second, the balls hit to your right. Where are you going with the ball? And like stuff like that to mm-hmm. where he was teaching us, but he was also keeping us entertained. Like right. for him, it was like, okay, how do I keep him busy and not asking, are we there yet? And all these things, Um, but like deep down, like I go back and I'm like remembering these times in the car and I'm like, wow, like my IQ was so far along because my brother was way more advanced than I was in the game at the time. And so was my dad. And we were all doing this together and it didn't make it seem like 
we have to do this if you yeah. want to get a D1 scholarship. It was, hey, we love this game. Let's talk about it. Let's let's see what we would do in this situation. What do you think, like, your strength? Like, what would you do in this situation? And I had a really good arm at short, and um, Josh was very quick. So for him, a lot of his would be, and also, obviously, the different pace of play in the game. Like, right. they obviously have a lot more chances to turn double plays and such, but... You know, mine would be like ball deep in the hole. I'm I'm shooting to one as fast as I can, or I'm gonna turn around on on my body and go to second and get the double play, or you know whatever it was. But that was such a huge part of our developmental stages that we didn't even realize that we were doing. Right. Well, I mean, obviously it worked. Did I did I read? <laughs> did, well, did I read that you committed when you were 14? I did. Wow. Uh, 15 actually. 15? Yeah, 15. I so funny. Enough. I committed the day before I got my driver's permit. <laughs> wow. So like putting that in perspective now, which I'm so glad they've moved right. like everything back because these like athletes, they deserve to go somewhere where they're going to be so extremely happy and, and commit to those four years. You know, the transfer portal's been a big thing. And I think we saw so much of that because people were making their decisions as eighth graders, seventh right. graders, even of where they wanted to go. And you don't know what you want at that age. And you change so much in that time that you want to make sure that you're making the right decision. So luckily for me, it worked out. I feel like I made the best decision that I could have made. And I definitely would not be here without that decision. But I'm glad that girls are getting the opportunity to take their time and make the right choice, mm. not just what they think is the best choice for them in that moment. Absolutely. That's yeah, I totally agree. Now, what, what, what was it about Texas A&M that, you know, that drew you to it? I think a big thing was, um, family. The family aspect of it was really big for me. I'm very close to not only my family, but my, my grandparents, um, they live in Brenham, Texas, which is about 40 minutes, give or take okay. to college station. And they've also been such a huge part of, of, Josh and I's journeys on the field, they would come to every tournament. They would, they would drive around, they would get a hotel, you know, they would, they would come, they would cheer on all my high school teammates knew who my grandparents were. They did not miss an event. And so I knew that it was really important for me to go to somewhere close enough that my family would be able to come and watch mm -hmm. um, multiple times and not just, Oh, it's a big weekend. Let us come out. Like them being in the stands gives me such peace and on the field, knowing that no matter what happened, I could go to them after the game and we, we could talk about the game if we wanted to, but if there was a day where I just wanted to shut softball out and not talk about it, that they could do that for me. Right. So being really close to them was, was a huge, huge plus for me. And then also coach Evans was such a big pull for me as well. She was just so honest with everyone that she came in contact with, whether it was good news or bad news, like, mm. she was going to tell you how it was, but not in a way that disrespected you or made you feel some type of way about what she was saying to you. She made you reflect and understand where she was coming from. And even as recruits, like, I don't feel like you really get that, right? The coaches become kind of, um, <laughs> actors in a sense right. of, I know what you're saying. Of, oh yeah, you're going to be the starting shortstop. You're going to be our lead off. You know, you yeah. can't tell every kid that and expect it to happen or at least every kid believe that it's going to happen, which some people that is true. You are going to be the shortstop and the lead off, but 
most cases, that's not going to be what's true. And so for me, knowing exactly what she expected from me at an early age and knowing that I was willing to put in that work to become that player um, was big for me. And I think a big thing is um, she let me know what she wanted to recruit me as. Like, so I came in as a shortstop um, in call or in high school, I started as a shortstop, but I was playing all around the infield and she was able to watch me. And she said, you know, I really like the way you play third. So I want you to practice and come in and be our starting third baseman, which was great because there was an open spot and I was willing to work for that spot, whoever was, um, competing against me. And then it just so happened that Riley Sarton came in, she was an A, A, A plus, plus, plus defender. And I was like, it will be the best thing for our team for her to play third. And where, where does that put me? And she, she told me straight up, she was like, you know, I think Riley is an amazing defender. And I said, you know, coach, I do too. She said, well, we have an opening at first and I want you to try to work over there. And I said, absolutely. I want to do what's best for the team and what's going to help us win. Mm -hmm. And so from that moment on, I, I kind of took first under my wing and just became so dedicated to learning the craft of first base. Cause I think a lot of people just throw a big hitter over there and expect it to be easy, but you don't notice first baseman's when they're doing their job, but the moment they mess up, you'll, everyone will know. Totally agree with you. Totally. Yeah. 100% so, agree yeah. with you. So since then I've, I've been chilling at first and enjoying every second of it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So when you arrived freshman season, what was the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what was the biggest thing you remember about getting on campus? Man, I remember being so overwhelmed with just being alone, right? Like big so, adjustment. Yeah it, yeah. it was a big adjustment in the sense of like, you're away from home, which I was only two hours. So it wasn't that far, but two hours away from home, but you just don't have anyone there anymore. Like you don't wake up, walk outside your dorm room and your mom's like, good morning. I made breakfast before <laughs> yeah, work. Yeah. You know? um, even though we were making breakfast for ourselves for a while, cause my mom was also a teacher, but um, just things like that. And like doing your laundry and making sure everything's clean and um, writing all of your assignments in and finding where your classes are at and, and doing all of these things. And of course you have people to help you, but there's mm. just some things you go through life and you're like, Whoa, I didn't realize how much my parents did for me and how much of an adjustment this is going to be. Right. Needless to say, I was happy to be <laughs> in a spot where I didn't be like, Hey, I'm going here and here and here. And I'll be back at this time. Like I could go wherever I wanted and <laughs> be back at whatever time I wanted. So right. That was a great thing, but um, I actually remember biking around campus the first day with uh, my roommate, and we were trying to make sure we found all of our classes beforehand, so Smart. we would know exactly where we were going, and so we wouldn't be late. And I remember calling my mom and being like, "Guess what I did today?" Like, it's, <laughs> like I'm like thinking back on, it, I'm like, "Ooh, good, you did exactly what you were supposed to do, and taking care of yourself." But, but to you, that feels like such an accomplishment right. because you did it without someone telling you, you had to do it. You're doing it because you, you want to be in the best spot you can be and making a good impression and doing all these things. So I just think it puts it into a, a like a greater perspective of what is happening and what's coming next. As soon as they drop you off and they're kind of like, all right, well, we'll see you when we see you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's the first time in 18 years that I don't know the next time I'm going to see my parents. So it's, <laughs> it's a little weird, but it worked out. I think it helps push you as a 
as a person. Yeah. I just picture sure. you calling your mom saying, Hey mom, I'm a big girl now. Yeah. I'm like, guess what I did? You'll never believe what I did. And she was like, what'd you do? And I was like, I biked around to all my classes so I wouldn't be late. Oh, that's and fantastic. she was like, Oh, awesome. And I was like, yep. And I wrote all my, my assignments in my planner and I printed out all my syllabi and I'm ready for the first day. <laughs> She's great. like, good. That's posted. And I yeah. was like, oh. I was like expecting like a good job or something, yeah. but it's literally oh. what you're supposed to do. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So do you remember the, the, uh, the first weekend of the season, that freshman year in California? I do. Oh, I, nice. I remember this specific moment where we were playing UCLA, I think for the first time and we had five games that weekend. So it was a lot, but I do remember playing Utah, like very very um like few moments here and there just kind of flashing but specifically the ucla game ali carta was starting all-american pitcher um senior you know just this badass of a softball player Mm -hmm. and at the time like i didn't watch softball i don't know what was wrong with me or what why i didn't because i'm such a huge tv person but i didn't really watch the college world series i didn't watch softball i think it was because i was always playing my own softball right and i had no idea who any of these people were i was just ready i was showing up i was ready to play like i was just ready to get it going and i finally had got my first hit and i felt so much relief i was like finally i can just be free and play and all this stuff so this game is starting the first inning I'm hitting in the three hole and, and coach Glasgow, Jerry Glasgow comes in the, the dugout. And he's like, all right, guys, like Ali Carta, she's an all American, like all this stuff, just hyping her up. And like, she's got this amazing rise ball. She throws really hard. We need to make sure we're on time, see the ball down, all this stuff. And in my head, I'm thinking, um, am I supposed to know who she is? Like, I'm like, <laughs> it, and like, now I'm like, how dare you say that? Like, right. Carta, come on. But <laughs> Back then, I was just so young and naive. I had no idea what was coming. And I actually went up and I hit a grand slam. It wasn't in the first inning, but I got it. I hit my first home run and it was a grand slam off of Ali Carta. And now I look back, I'm like, dang, if only you could have like realized how freaking cool that was Yep. in the moment of like, oh, all American pitcher versus a freshman. And you just took her took her yard like as your first home run of your career like that's pretty special grand slam so, it was second I, inning I, actually it was second inning oh was it the second yep. inning wow yeah yep. i guess we put it on i don't know if we beat them though so six four I'm we just, beat them six four. Oh my god look at us go yes so that i think that was like the first moment where we realized like okay like our freshman class we're, we're coming to play because mm-hmm. there was i believe seven of us coming in and one it was me Kristen Coyas was starting at short. Ashley Walters behind the plate. I think Erica Russell wasn't quite in the lineup yet, but she ended up making her way in. So there was a good four or five of us that were starting or playing at the time. And so for us to come in, be such a young team and to beat a team like UCLA with so much history, tradition, talent, all of this stuff. I think we realized like, Hey, you know, we could do some b- big things here at a and Yeah. Good. Cause I mean the day before you guys lost 13, nothing to them. Like, yeah. And then okay, you, yeah. So then you come back the, the following day and, and beat them. I mean, that's, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a good answer right there. Yeah, for sure. And it, it is hard to, in the beginning, like you don't really know what to expect from these teams in the tournament season. And, mm. You know, you beat a team 13 to zero, you come out, you're like, oh, yeah, we're about to whoop them again today. Like, but like that goes to show how just 
like ruthless we were as competitors. We weren't just going to lay down and be like, oh, well, we're a young team and, and here you go. Like, here's your win. Like we were like clawing our way to try to put up a fight and like put some respect on our name as a team, because we had just lost such a big senior class that had done a lot for our program. Right. And that's, I mean, that's what you got to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're new to the, if you're like just coming in, I mean, you want to make an impression pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Show up and show out 100%. Yeah. Now, obviously that freshman year, you made a very good impression. SEC all all freshman team, as well as all SEC second team. Um, what do you feel was the biggest takeaway from that first year? I think trusting myself and just realizing like I did belong there. Right. Um, even though I, so I thought um, I had a really great year. I thought I was going to get a nod for all American honors. And what was so cool looking back on it now the very first day i ever met jerry glasgow he put his arm around me and it was his first day on campus and our first day on campus and he put his arm around me at a hitting camp and he was like you're gonna be an all-american here and i was like oh oh wow okay cool like (laughs) thank you and like to put that in perspective of like you're coming in you don't know what to expect you haven't even played a game yet you don't know the competition you're going against like there's so many things and for him to just come out and just automatically say that to me and believe in me from day one, I was like, okay, if he believes in me, like I need to believe in myself, which I never really had much doubt, like, of like, oh my God, I'm not going to live up to this because I wasn't a player that like had a bunch of accolades going in. Like I could hold my own and I was a great player, but it's not like now how they like hype you up and like all of these hot 100 lists and all of these things. Right. Like yeah. we, I remember playing uh, the, I think it was the athletics in California. And one of my teammates had a four for four game. Like, Oh, it was Demi Turner. You, you, I'm sure you know, Demi Turner from Alabama. All but, right. Yep. Yes. Um, one of the coaches walked through and like pat her on the shoulder and was like incredible performance. Uh, you should be way higher on that list. And she like looks back at me and I'm looking at her and I'm like, what is he talking about? (laughs) We asked our coach Casey Jackson and he's like, Oh yeah, don't pay attention to that bowl. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean anything. Just keep playing. And so, you know, that, that wasn't really a thing in our part of maybe our part of Houston or our just state Texas wasn't really into like the rankings at the time. And so I didn't come in and everyone, everyone wasn't on me like, Oh, Tori Vidal is the next big thing. Like, you know, so I went in like confident and just ready to play some ball. And so I think that was the moment, like realizing these are the numbers I put up my freshman year. It can only go up, right? Mm -hmm. It it can only get better. I can only get better. So knowing that I finished that season and I I was so excited to get back and get into the next season because I knew I was going to come out better and stronger and faster and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And little did I know there would be a position change in there, but still was able to, show up the next season and be confident and know that what I did the previous year worked for me, like my training, my nutrition, my work in the classroom. Like I finally had a handle, like if I could come and this being my first time ever doing this, imagine how good it can get the second time. So just really having that positive mindset of coming in and being like, all right, bigger and better. Let's do it. Well, I mean, it it worked. You got all American sophomore season. So, I mean, (laughs) I know everyone always talks about the sophomore slump. I remember the day I finished, someone was like, 
you come back next year and you're not even going to have a sophomore slump. Like, I'm like, why would you say that to me? Yeah. <laughs> why would you, why would you jinx me like that? Don't do that. Yeah. Don't, don't do, do that. Whatever. You, what are you doing? Come on. Yeah. I'm like, are you crazy? Oh, that's funny. Um, well, let's jump ahead to junior season. Cause I mean, yeah. fr- from a team standpoint, I mean, that was your most successful while you were at Texas A&M. I mean, mm-hmm. what was it like defeating Tennessee to secure that birth to the women's college world series? Cause I mean, you played a pr- pretty big role going two for three with a solo shot in that game. Yeah. Well, so the the best thing about that season is how close we were as a team. And I know everyone always says like, oh, team chemistry. We were so good. But like truly our team was so tight that year. Like we just wanted to spend our time with each other all the time. And I think that truly did reflect on the field. We just had so much trust in one another and the coaches and everything that we had done to put ourselves in the position. But for me personally, that was my hardest year because it was my worst performance of my college career. And honestly, like looking back, I'm like, yeah, it was a really tough time, but I, I would relive that year over and over and over again because we had so much fun playing the game. And like, we actually did we did all these things. We had a chance to win the SEC tournament. I mean, a SEC regular season. Right. Obviously, we dropped a few games at Kentucky, and that hurt us. But um, we we went undefeated in Palm Springs, playing all these like we played Arizona, Washington. Um, there was one other team, Oregon. So like we had so many good things happen that season for us, and mm. I think it was truly just us like banding together. Um, but for me personally, I will never forget when I was struggling, I could not, I don't know what was wrong, but like I was swinging so hard at these pitches and like they would dribble to the pitcher or like I would fly out and I'm like, I suck at softball. Like, I guess that's just it. Like, this has got to be it. You know, that, like, that, and, that junior slump, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Junior slump. I'm like gosh, dang you for telling me sophomore slump. I pushed it off a year. That's but right. um, It was crazy because I started really hot in the beginning of the season and then it just kind of dwindled as we hit SEC. And I think that was just a lot of pressure that I put on myself to right. be like, all right, I got to lead this team. I got to get all defensive. I got to be first team all SEC. Like I was focusing on the wrong things. Hmm. And so I was letting that external pressure get to me. And then, um, so the moment that I won't forget was we were out to eat after one of the games, um, Ashley Walters, her dad has been a coach, like he coached high school for a long time, has been in the game around Ashley, all these things. And he was like, you know, I know you're struggling, but I just want you to know, like, you're probably the best hitter I've ever seen in my life. Like just end of sentence. No, like, wow. For a softball player, no, for a girl, no, for anything like he, he said out of everyone I've ever seen in my life. And so like, I was like, come on, like MLB player. She's like, no, I'm serious. I've never seen anyone with your type of power, understanding of the game, situational hitting, like all of these things. And it just took that one person. Like I wasn't even like, we weren't really talking about the game. He just kind of mentioned it in passing like as we were leaving and it really stuck with me and I realized like if he thinks I'm one of the best in the game why can't I think that Mm. and so it made me change my perspective of you know what I'm not even going to try to hit a home run I'm not going to try to do anything I'm just going to go up to the plate and be me and the moment I did that we had regionals the next weekend 
And I ended up hitting three home runs in one game against Tennessee, and we still lost, which I think is hilarious. I tell that story all the time. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I'm like, hit three home runs in one game, and we still lost. (laughs) Yeah, that's tough. (laughs) It was tough. And then, um, so I started to break out at the, um, the last regular season series against Tennessee. Mm. We went to Alabama or we went to Tennessee to play in the SEC tournament and I kind of was able to break out and we didn't win, but I hit a solo shot against Osorio and she was throwing a no hitter. So I was able to break that up and we held on to a lead for a little bit and then we lost Bailey Hemphill. Strong, strong girl. Yep. She crushed um so was able to do that. And then I felt really confident going into regionals and we were playing Texas and I hit my 50th career home run. And it was just kind of like a moment of like, you know what? I can just relax. Like, even if I don't hit another home run, like I, who else can say that they hit 50 career home runs? Like that's an incredible feat. And I don't care how many more I hit. I'm hmm. just going to have fun with the rest of the season because I don't want it to end. And the moment I did that, I just kind of like freed myself of any, expectations and was able to just enjoy being with my team. And then we went back to Tennessee for super regionals. First game was absolutely terrible. Probably one of the worst games we had ever played. And we come back the second day and end up um, kind of like a little battle. We come back late and I think it was the fifth inning and uh, it was just kind of like a back and forth trading the lead. And we ended up pulling out the game and coach Evans had this amazing speech after the game in the dugout and our video um, person got in the mix and like put out the tweet. And I remember so many people, other college athletes, other softball players, coaches, like parents, like talking about how this is like the way a coach should lead. And like this speech fires them up. And we were we were so fired up. We were ready to come back and win that next day and go to the world series and celebrate on Tennessee's field. Like nothing would be better than that. And a big thing for us too, was Trinity Harrington had lost her dad that year and and didn't play in the regionals. So that was a huge thing for us, like banding together and and playing something for a lot bigger than just to win the game. You know, we were playing to honor him. Then we finally get trend back and we go and play in Tennessee. We have a chance to upset them. And when Riley hit that three run bomb early in the game, I, (laughs) I was on third base and I remember someone in the dugout yelling the F word (laughs) really loudly. And we're like cheering and I'm like, Oh yeah, we're winning this game. So like from that moment when I heard someone say that and I was like, Oh yeah, we got this in the back. And, <laughs> and I, I kind of had Maddie Moss's number for a while after, cause I hit all three home runs off of her in uh, the regular season. And then I hit another one off of her in game three. And so for me, it was just kind of like a cap on my season of being like, you know, yeah. you didn't have the best season, but like we came out of it, we crawled out of it and we're here and we're playing and, and we're ready to win. Yeah. So that was a huge, huge year for us and going to the World Series, even though we went two and out. I mean, we played freaking Florida and UCLA. What do you expect? You, like, had, you had Kelly Burnhill and Rachel Garcia. I mean, yeah, like, they're, they're okay pitchers. Huh? <laughs> yeah. 
And we just, we, we gave it our best and we did all we could, but, um, just to be even able to say that you went to the world series is such a huge honor and accomplishment. And I'm so proud of that year. And we were one pitch away from doing it again, senior year. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, I've had many past guests on here that's been to the world series and I always like hearing it from their perspective. Just what is the atmosphere like? Honestly, it was a lot different than what I was expecting. Um, So, you know, OU, hometown team, right? So there's a lot of OU fans. We didn't play them, but I do remember there being so many people in the stands, but it being so quiet, which maybe that was because we had the first game of the day at 11 a.m. It was the opener of the World Series. Like a lot of things could have gone into that, but even when like somebody did well for either team, it was like either A&M or Florida's sections, like cheering really loudly. And the rest of the, the stadium, it was kind of like golf claps. Like it was like not anything like I had ever experienced before. And so it was just so crazy going into it and knowing like thinking, oh man, they're going to go wild. Like you're going to get a hit and everyone's going to just like explode and like throw their drinks in the air and all things but it was shockingly quiet for when we were playing except um the best play at the world series that still goes viral all the time when ashley um it was like a first and third situation and she cut it off and then um she like got her arm bent but hyper extended her elbow and then still threw the runner out and then lisa fernandez got thrown out that whole oh that's right um, yeah that whole scene that was our second game Um, so that was crazy, but really the only time like you heard the stadium explode was a home run. Mm. And even those, uh, well, Florida hit a lot of home runs against us in that game. But, um, even that, like it wasn't, maybe I just had it built up in my head to be this just like explosion of noise. And it was just oddly quiet. I was very shocked. Well, really, if, unless you're playing OU or, or OSU's there, I mean, really, yeah, like you're not gonna, like you're going to get the hometown fans for them. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. It definitely felt like an away game for everyone, which right. is good. Um, and I see what people mean when you're like, oh, like, oh, you has an advantage. What? Like, they don't choose where it's at. They just have fans that are close enough to want to come. Right. So it works out for them. But it, it's so funny. But we were always like saying, you know, the, the quietness is our celebration, mm-hmm. even when we would play away, like let the silence be deafening. And like we would make that kind of our motto when we would go play away games was we want to hear that silence and that fires us up. Like not hearing anybody cheering for us when we do something well, that was kind of like a little extra oomph. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, we did that and you didn't cheer for us and we don't care. We're going to do it again. Yeah. That's a- so going into that, it was good to have that preparation for the World Series because it was so quiet. Absolutely. Absolutely. So over your four years at Texas A&M, what are... Uh, what are some of the things that you look back on you feel stuck with you to this day, you know, whether it was life lesson, playing lesson, something along those lines? I think the biggest thing for me was, um, so this happened my sophomore year of college and 
we were doing our annual maroon and white in the fall and we had a really great group of freshmen come in who were all projected to start and be very hefty contributors to our lineup. And when she, when coach Evans split the teams up, she put pretty much all of the starters on one team and she put me with a lot of people that maybe hadn't had a chance to break into the lineup in their career. And so we had some really good games and, um, I think it was the first or second game. I remember it being nighttime and I was just pissed because we lost. Mm. And I was like, I feel like I'm doing everything I can. I'm, I don't know what to do. Like they're just outplaying us. And, you know, when we circled up at the end, we kind of talked through it and coach asked us, you know, what, what did you learn? what did you see? what did you experience? Like all this stuff. And I didn't say anything, which was very rare because I always have something to say. <laughs> but, um, I had I'd taken a leadership position or so I thought in my own head of like, you know, I got to lead this team. I got to do all these things. And um, she asked me, well, Tori, you haven't said anything. What do you think? And I remember saying like, well, you know, I just think that we have had a lot of people who haven't had much experience and maybe that's why like we weren't able to come up with the win. And like, I tried to keep it very like minimal of what I was saying, but I didn't realize what I did say hurt, hurt a lot of people's feelings. And so I, I go to practice the next day and everything seems fine. And, and coach pulls me aside and she's like, Hey, can I talk to you before I leave? She was going on a, a trip to actually scout out some features for Davis diamond, which is cool. Cause it's full circle now, but, right. um, she sits me down in the dugout and she's like, Hey, I just want to let you know, like, um, what you said yesterday after practice, um, really hurt someone's feelings. And I, w- I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like what, what happened? Like what's going on? Like fill me in. And she said, well, after, you know, I saw some players putting their stuff away and one of them was crying and, she asked if she was okay. And she said, you know, coach, it's just really hard when your own teammates don't even believe in you. And when she told me that I literally felt like a dagger went through my heart and I was like, Oh my gosh, that was never my intention. Like I did not mean to make it seem like I didn't believe in them and like all these things. And I'm like thinking back on it. Like I thought I was being a good leader by, you know, keeping my mouth shut and not telling people like what I really thought. And I think it just gave me a different perspective on, on how a leader actually acts. And my coach was like, basically saying like, you know, you need to really watch like how you, you speak to people and your tone really matters and what you're saying has effects on people. And from that day, I made a promise to myself to always be conscious of how I was saying things more so than what I was saying, because that would ultimately be the test of like how I came across to people and how willing they were to follow or work beside me. And knowing that if they thought that I didn't believe in them, like I wasn't doing my job right as Mm. a leader and as someone who was really trying to take that leadership role, we didn't have captains. So I don't want to say captain, but in my head, that was my role was to be like the voice of this team. And so I really, really worked hard on being a good leader and a good teammate. And I think obviously we all have our mess ups and our failures, but, um, that was the moment I think that made me realize like, Whoa, this is so much more than softball. Mm -hmm. And I have to be careful. Like 
my mouth can get me in trouble sometimes. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> that was a moment where it kind of slapped me in the face and she sat me down like and talked to me like as a person, not as a player who was, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. I was just her kid, you know, like she wanted to guide me and push me in a road that would, and a lesson that would stick with me way longer than I would be in college. Right. And so that, that was one of the biggest things for me is learning, like just how to be, how to be a leader, how to be a good person and how to be not only a good softball player, but a good teammate, because at the end of the day, that's the things we remember the most is the stories off the field and how we believed in one another and how we loved and competed for one another more so than the outcomes of the games. Right. Well, that's a, that's a great, uh, great thing to have stick with you. I mean, definitely for Man, sure. I, you're telling me on, as a little humor for a little humor. I, I was hoping you were going to say that that foul ball that got stuck in your helmet, but, uh, Oh my gosh, <laughs> that foul ball has literally come back from the dead. I did you not. So, okay. Funny story about this is this was the very first year that SEC plus became a thing, right? So it was the first year that all the games played were being broadcasted, which was a great thing because my parents were traveling between two like U of H baseball, and of softball, whatever. Right. So we're playing this game and this happens. And I'm like, I can't believe that happened. You know, in like three weekends, I forgot about it. I completely forgot this happened. I'm like, oh, ha ha funny, whatever. And <laughs> Last or yeah, last year, so 2021, yeah. I was calling regionals and I was calling remotely out of Austin. And I remember we were about to get on these Zoom calls with the coaches, and my play-by-play texted me the video. He was like, "Hey, is this you?" And I look at the video. I'm like, "What could he be sending me? We just met. Like, you know, like I don't really like know him like that." And so I look at it and I'm like. Oh my God, <laughs> this clip is six years old, six years old. And they're bringing it back. And not only did they bring it back, but SEC network who I work for didn't even tag me in the video. No way. Like, yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and I, like, I'm telling you at least like a hundred people DM'd me that video and be like, Oh my gosh, this is you. And I'm like, yes, guys, I know this is me. Thank you for the heads up. Like, it, and I kid you not, like once a month it goes viral again and I get somebody that sends it to me and they're like, Oh my gosh, have you seen this? And I'm like, have I seen it? I lived it. <laughs> I can't like, honestly, I, I that video, like just that happening. It was one in a million ridiculous. Like, I remember like, like what I remember from like that moment of it happening is a lot different than what I watch when I'm watching it back. I'm like thinking in my head, like, Oh my gosh, this ball's going to hit me. I kind of just have to like swat it and get it out of the way. And I look back and I just got handcuffed, like totally just got handcuffed. And the ball came off at a weird angle. Like it was going fast and I hit the bottom of it and it just, ricocheted right into my mask and every day i'm thankful that i wear a mask absolutely well 100 <laughs> percent definitely yeah, definitely there's no way i did it once in mexico because i didn't have a, a choice yeah. but man well, mask team mask for all eternity yep definitely speaking of mexico let's jump over the mexican national team let's do it what was that uh what was that feeling like the first time you put on that uh red white and green uniform it was crazy. It wasn't an experience 
that I thought I was going to have because so for me, um, my Mexican heritage comes from my dad's side and I lost both, both of my grandparents at an early age. Like I, I was three when I lost my grandma and I was like in seventh grade when I lost my grandpa, but we weren't really around them much because they lived in Dallas and we lived in Houston and, you know, two young kids, it's hard to get out there. And my, my parents both worked and my dad was on shift work and my mom was a teacher. So, you know, we, we had to pick and choose. And, you know, growing up, we played a lot of sports and did a lot of things that took up our time. So we didn't really get to, to see them and be around them very much. But obviously when you look at me, you can tell like, okay, she's got, she's got something, right. She's got something in there brewing, right. I'm, I'm Brown. I've got dark curly hair. Like she's Mexican, right. You look at me and you, you can't miss it. So, but for me growing up, I grew up in a very like white world. Like I wasn't around very many Mexicans. Like I wasn't immersed in that culture the way I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the first time I put on the uniform, I remember thinking like, wow, I hope grandma and grandpa are really proud of me right now. Right. And I remember like talking to my grandpa, I mean, my dad about it, about like my grandma and grandpa and just like asking questions about them and, you know, what were they like and what did they like to do? And what was it like when you were little? Because my dad played baseball growing up and so many emotions just like hit you and you realize like, there's no way I would be here. First of all, like li- <laughs> literally wouldn't be here without them. Right. But second of all, like just being in a space where you can do what you love, but also honor the people you love. And so it was such a special moment, especially too, because, you know, softball wasn't back in the Olympics yet. I was doing it purely out of my love for the game, my love for my family and my love for who I was, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times I I felt like it got lost that I was Mexican because I grew up in, in such, um, a white community and somewhere where I, I didn't really have those outlets of like, my Hispanic friends, like bringing me in, speaking Spanish, like eating at the table with their whole family and like trying all these native dishes and all these things. So it was really cool moment for me. I feel like it made me understand a little bit more about myself and where I came from and meeting people that are like me, but had different life experiences than, than I did in in the cultural world for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I I can hear what you're saying there. Like, I mean, I mean, you got, you had like, there was a fair number of you on that team, like what, especially like your Olympic team that was pretty much in that same boat, were they not like, you know, had the Mexican background and, but you know, grew up in the U S Yeah, there were a lot of us. And I think it's so funny to me that people always dog on us because we are not the only sport that plays for different countries that we live in, different countries that we live in. Track does it all the time. Swimming does it all the time. And obviously the, the reason it's so big is because we're a team and because there's 15 people on the team and 14 of them were not born in the States. But I will tell you this, like every single one of us, like, put time and effort into learning where we came from. We would have Zoom meetings, especially during COVID. Oh my gosh, we put in so much work during COVID. We would do um, meetings with our psychologists, our sports psychologists. And every week she would give us a person, a place, and a dish that we would have to each research and basically give a presentation on. And it was so cool that 
a lot of like different dishes and people and places like we had heard of, Mm. but we didn't know why they were so important to the Mexican culture. And so we were constantly working on like, what does being Mexican mean to me? And the important thing is that there's no one way to be Mexican, right? I can't just like take my Mexican off and hang it in the closet. Like no matter where I go, people are going to see that I have some type of Hispanic background, but to the levels are going to vary from person to person, no matter where you're at in the software world, in the regular world, in the corporate world, like wherever you're at. So for us, it was more about the journey together and the journey to learning where we came from and like representing not only us because we didn't live there. Mm. It was our families that gave us the opportunity to come to America and be something and make something out of our families. And it was really an ode to all of our parents, our great, our grandparents and what they had done for us and really just showing them like, this is not just for us. This is Mm. for all of you and for all of Mexico to realize like we can produce people that are successful in this sport. And so it was a tough journey for sure, but it's, it's going to be something that I'm proud of for the rest of my life, especially with that group of girls. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I mean, that had to have been like, you know, not like the team bonding aspect and it definitely would have helped for team chemistry, I assume. Oh, 100%. We had probably one of the closest teams to ever exist. And Mm. I would put my life on that. Um, Mexico and my 2017 A&M team were like by far the most connected teams and especially Mexico because we went through a lot of traumatic things. Like Mm -hmm. our time with Team Mexico was not easy. And I would be glad to share with you offline, but um, a, a lot of things that we went through should never happen. And, um, just the way that we were treated was not right. And we stuck it out because we believed in each other and we believed in the team and we believed in our abilities and what we could do and, and showing, you know, little Brown girls that they could do it too. And they didn't have to grow up in Mexico and do all of these things, but it's, it's not about like where you come from. It's about who you come from. You know, that's right. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously you guys bond it. Cause I mean, look at the, your, your guys' qualifiers going in the games, perfect mm-hmm. seven and oh, I yep. mean, w- w- what was that feeling like? Cause you guys, you guys qualified here in Canada and in, in, in Surrey at Southwall yeah. cities. I mean, what was that feeling like when you realized that you're actually going to be heading to Tokyo? Man, it was that summer was just such a wild ride. I remember we, so we partnered with the Cleveland Comets. So a lot of us went and played in the MPF. Oh, that's right too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we played all summer and um, that was actually the summer that Danielle uh, O'Toole joined us. So Mm -hmm. we played against her. She wasn't with the Comets. She was with the Bandits, Um, but we didn't really know her. We knew of her, of course, but Um, that was the first time she got to travel with us and like meet us and bond with us. And we took a trip to Georgia, which only six of us could go because we still had to have enough people at the Comets games. And we had to take a team to the, um, the, I think it was the world cup in Georgia. Okay. And so we went and we just had the best time. We got super close with, uh, Thule and, that was her birthday week. And so we, we ended up going to a safari park with her and really bonding. And like, we, that trip was so fun. Cause we realized like, she's one of us, like yeah. there's no way she's not one of us. Like she fits in perfectly. 
so quirky and fun and she's just disgusting on the mound. Um, but so we end up going to Peru freezing cold by the way it was in the winter their winter our summer so we come from this hot summer in cleveland and we are just sweating we didn't bring any jackets like none of this stuff so puerto rico actually ends up going before us and a couple of the girls post on their stories and they're wearing parkas and we're looking at each other like i don't think we're prepared for what we're about (laughs) to go into right now because i have a hoodie one hoodie and then they gave us um they gave us a a suitcase of uh gear and most of it was too small and very thin so it was like the the windbreaker material but it was like the stretchy windbreaker material so it wasn't going to keep us very warm so i literally lived in my dallas cowboys sweatshirt and my nike sweatpants (laughs) and on top of it tried to squeeze into those little jackets but so not only was it cold we hadn't seen the sun for two weeks and on top of that, we were playing probably some of the worst softball we had ever played together as a team. We lost on a walk-off to Puerto Rico for the bronze medal. Like It was just so many things that went wrong. And we had an opportunity to go home for like a week, I think it was, before we went to Canada for the qualifiers. And for us, we made it a point to just recharge, be in our own space with our own people, and we came back to Canada and we, I remember we were playing hacky sack, um, right after opening ceremonies and we were just talking to one another, like, you know, guys, this could be our last time to like ever play with one another again. And let's just enjoy it. Like, let's have fun. Like no matter what happens, like we, we want to leave here and like have the best time with one another and do what we came here to do is qualify. But at the end of the day, like it didn't matter. We just wanted to enjoy each other as teammates because it is so rare that you get a team that's so tight and so talented. Um, so we ended up going out. Oh, and not to mention in Peru, everything that could have went wrong, like went wrong. Every bounce went in, uh, against us, like fair foul went against us. Um, we would be popping up bunts and they would be making these top 10 plays and like, it was just everything that could go wrong. It was like the softball gods were against That's us. That's so tough mentally though. Like, so tough. Cause you're like, man, we can't catch a break. Yeah. Like it's just one after the other, after the other. And so we end up going to Canada and I kid you not, like every play that could have went against us went in our favor. Like See, they were, they were repaying like, you. They were repaying. Yeah. They like, man, through and through, like, that's why you have to have so much just faith in like what goes around comes around yeah. because everyone's going to get that at one point. Like everyone's going to have that day where it like just doesn't happen for them. And then one, one day you're going to have one and it all clicks. And that weekend was that for us. Like we were hitting well, we were playing defense. Well, we ended up finishing the qualifier with not a single error on the board, which I think is incredibly impressive for any team, but especially internationally, like you're playing the best of the best. And there was only two spots for the qualifier. We knew that we were in the best position to steal one of those spots because we had to beat we had to be, I think, five teams, four or five teams to make it to the like second half of the qualifier. So when we made it to the second half, we had to beat two out of three out of Puerto Rico, Canada, and Cuba. So we knew that we could beat Cuba regardless. So we were like, all right, we got one win in our bag. So if we have to either beat Puerto Rico or Canada, and like in our minds, Canada is ranked above us. They have the pitching, they have the hitting. So our best chance is going to be to beat Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. 
and we play them the very first game um, of the second bracket play. So we play them immediately. They start off with a triple that almost takes my head off. The video is so funny. You have to find it and watch it. I will definitely um, find that. <laughs> Carson Gordon hits a triple down the right field line, smokes it. So we're like, oh God, this is how this game's going to go. Like, all right, whatever. So we keep playing. Ball comes to me. I make a throw to the plate. Honestly, to me, she looks safe, but the umpire called her out and I'm like, oh, bet. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, we're hype. And then everything from that moment on was in our favor. They didn't have another runner on third base until like the sixth or seventh inning. And so, and that was also the iconic play of like, uh, it was like a pop-up in front of home plate. Sash comes out, bare hands it, throws it to first. first. I shoot it over to Chelsea at second. She tags the runner, double play. Like, oh my gosh, it was so hype. But that was ridiculous, that play. Like crazy. the way Sash come out, bounced out of that play. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> and they didn't have any communication. Like they didn't say like ball, mine, nothing. Like you go, I go, nothing. So yeah. it was just like, chaos but in a beautiful bubble like yep. the way it was supposed to be and so we we won that game and that moment i think was more special for us because we knew that like we were going to go to the olympics like that was our shot if mm -hmm. we would have lost we were we would have been thinking like okay we still have a chance against canada of course mm -hmm. and we know we can beat cuba but it's going to be a much harder path to beat canada than it would be to beat puerto rico right yeah. so and Puerto Rico and, and Mexico had always had like this back and forth. We would win, they would win, we would win, they would win. So it was like more evenly matched, we thought at the time. And so we win that first game. We're like, oh my God, we're going to the Olympics. Like <laughs> we had it in our mind, like, oh my God, like yeah. we're going to go, we're going to go. And so that, that day was really big for us. But then I remember the Canada game was insane. Wow. Um, it was a very low scoring game. Two and one. Yeah, two yeah. one, and we had they scored early. Vic, uh, Vic Hayward hit a double, and RBI double into right center, I believe. And we were like, "Dang it!" Like Dallas, poor Dallas. We were like really expecting her to hold everyone to zero. I'm like, <laughs> who expects that out of their pitcher? Yeah, but right. <laughs> anyways, uh, so she she gives up the run, which is we're like, we're fine. Like we're gonna score. We got to score to win. Whatever. So they end up. Um, walking the bases loaded and they bring in Kyra, um, Jenna Kyra, Jenna. a drop ball pitcher. We had always had a, a really hard time seeing her, just a nasty changeup. Like, Oh my God. Ridiculous changeup. Oh, it's so oh. disgusting. You don't ever want to hit it. So, <laughs> so we were playing them. We're like, Oh God, they're bringing in Jenna. Like, Oh, what are we going to do? And Susie Brookshire Gonzalez was coming up to bat pretty soon. And I looked at her and I was like, listen to me. If it comes out of her hand high, it's going to be a strike. If it comes out of her hand, a strike, it's going to drop out of the zone. Like, just trust me, like trust your instincts, like all this stuff. So she goes up there and a hell of an at bat, like mm -hmm. probably one of the best at bats I've ever seen in such a high pressure situation. Like bases are loaded. I'm not, I don't remember how many outs we had, but that was our moment to tie up the game. And like, we couldn't let this slip through our fingers. And there was like a low and out change up. And Susie's like, trying so hard to hold back and at the last minute she just kind of like flips the bat and ticks it off of the end and shoots it towards the first base dugout and i'm like the body control she just had to do that was out of this world like yeah. i just don't understand how it happened and so she ends up pulling out a walk out of that ab and um 
she so she ties up the game and then Nicole Mendez, who was a new addition at the time to our team, comes up and thankfully she had been playing like in college and everything. So she was ready. Like she had been there, done that. And um she hits single through the left side, uh five six hole. We score one, so we're up two to one. And then I just remember like watching Sasha and Dallas work in that last inning in the seventh inning and just swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss, like at one after the other after the other. And they were just so in sync. Like the way like Sasha and Dallas have always had a really good connection and the way that they just know each other so well. They know what they want, they know where they want it. Like and Sash tells this story really well, but um, the last hitter who came up to bat, like I don't even remember who it was, but they went, uh, they went backdoor curve, I believe it was, and then they went curve, curve. But the first curve she swung and missed, and it was way off the plate. And they're like, "All right, we're about to go to the Olympics, like right now. This is their chance. We're throwing a curveball off the plate. She's gonna swing. She's gonna strike out. And we're gonna win." Like it was just this weird feeling that she had in her gut. And then literally the next pitch, curveball, swing, miss, strike out. We win the game. We're running over like to each other. We're celebrating. Like we can't believe we did it. All the st- uh, the odds were stacked against us, and a lot of our parents had come to the qualifier and they had like little sombreros and towels and Sasha's family had like noisemakers and it was just so perfect. And my parents were there. And I remember we opened the gate that's like directly to the crowd, which was so perfect for that moment. But, uh, we're just hugging all of our parents. We're crying. And you could just hear again, the silence that there was in the stadium, because of course everyone was there because they wanted Canada to win and pull it out. And they would have qualified that day too. So it was just, Oh, it was magical magic chaos is what I like to call it. Cause it was just perfect. And it was, it ended the exact way it was supposed to. And I remember hugging my mom and she was like, it all paid off. Like it was all worth it. Like you're living your dream. Like this is amazing. And I'm just bawling my eyes out. Like, Oh my God. Like thinking about all the sacrifices my parents made for me to be in this position, how much money they spent, how much time they spent, like how much mental sanity they probably spent as well. But, um, just everything, it it really did come full circle and we were going to the Olympics and I could not, could not believe it. Like it did not feel real. Um, but then the next day Canada qualified and we, um, had the ceremony on the field and it was amazing. And they were gracious enough to invite us to, uh, their little after party that they had. And it was so funny cause they only had a cake that said like, congratulations, Canada. We totally <laughs> felt like party crashers, but they invited us. So we felt like we should go. <laughs> oh my God. I never knew this story. And I've had, I've yeah. had everyone from that team on the podcast. Oh yeah. And I've well, never heard I that. that they knew. But we like they invited us. So we were like, yeah, like, of course, like we we sell or we uh, qualified too. like we want to celebrate and all of these things. And so whatever we came up there, our coach actually uh, was like running around with a Patron bottle. And I do have this one video. It is hilarious. So Vic Hayward got the last shot of tequila and he was like just pouring it in everyone's mouth. And after he finished pouring it, he tossed the bottle and I was right there and I caught the bottle like a foot away from the ground and i'm like oh my god like they invited us to this party we can't come in here smashing tequila bottles like that would really make us look mexican like <laughs> <laughs> like a fiesta is going down and i remember talking to vic about it and she was like 
I am so glad you have that video because everyone thinks that I threw the bottle. And so I sent it to her. She sends it to her whole team. She's like, I told you guys I didn't throw the bottle. And I was like, nope, just a first baseman doing a first baseman things and catching the bottle and making everyone else look good. And Vic has an alibi. Wow. There you go. (laughs) That's great. Now you mentioned magic chaos, which of course turned into real life chaos because the pandemic hit now. Right. I mean, I've chatted with, you know, a few athletes on here since the games have gone down and it's all been the same thing. Just how much of a roller coaster emotion that was that personally for you over that year and a bit that, you know, that it got put on hold. It was a little bit of a whirlwind. I think the biggest thing was just not knowing what was going to happen. Like, and the Olympic coverage wasn't really like as in the media, I would say as obviously COVID and cases and, Um, deaths and all of these things were being reported, but like, it was really hard to find information on the Olympics and what was happening and who was making the decisions and all of this stuff. So I remember the first time we saw anything, they were like, yeah, it could be canceled. And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, We went through all of that and they're just going to cancel it. Like, no way. Like they're, they can't cancel the Olympics. Like it's the Olympics. Like you just got to postpone something. So we keep training and we don't really hear anything for a while. I'm not sure how many months it was, but, um, this whole time we're kind of just like figuring everything out. And I remember, uh, having to train in my garage and we got, you know, the little blast motion sensors. And, um, I had a T and a net that I had got from a camp that I helped with. And I ended up with it because nobody had room to take it home. So like, thankfully it all worked out that like I had a net and a tee from a year ago and like some old softballs that my dad had used giving me lessons back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was in my garage taking anywhere from like five to 700 swings a week, just off of a tee. And that probably tested me more than anything in this game because that is probably the most boring thing as a hitter I could ever think of. Like there's some people that love T work and there's some people that don't love T work as much. And I am the latter. <laughs> the latter. <laughs> yeah. I am the latter. I live, I eat, sleep, breathe, live everything front toss. And that's how I feel like my adjustments and like the ball tells me what I'm doing and all of these things. And that's how I grew up. And so I've always been like that. So to just sit there and work on the T like, over and over and over again for hours out there in the blistering heat of Texas in my garage. Um, it was miserable. It was so terrible. You you didn't really have anywhere to work out like, and you're just there. And I, (laughs) I would be out there. My parents would be in the living room and our garage door backs up to the living room wall where the TV is. And every time I would take a swing, the net would kind of like wobble and the metal would like hit the floor. And so it would make this like big bang noise. So just, I feel bad for my parents too, because I'm out there swinging and swinging and swinging and they just hear clanking around. They're like, were you hitting the ball into the wall? And I'm like, no, that was the net. (laughs) So, um, that was honestly brutal. Um, and then not knowing if it was even going to happen, like, is this work that I'm putting in even going to be able to like be used? Right. Obviously it would eventually in my game, but I would, mm. I wasn't going to retire, but like, I wanted it to pay off and on the biggest stage. And 
finally realizing that it was just postponed was a great feeling. And I think for our sport, it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened because softball is a game where reps matter and, Mm -hmm. um, just doing things over and over and over again, help you more than they hurt you. Whereas someone like a weightlifter or a track runner, like you have to be at a certain weight and a certain like time frame of when it's like your peak performance. Like, like I know a lot of like weightlift Olympic weightlifters, they go through cycles, right. Of their training. So they are preparing for all four years to peak at the right time. So now they're having to like go back and re reinvent the wheel kind of, of like their training and like, where do I, where do I fit this in and where do I do this? Whereas for us, it gave us more time to see pitchers, more time to take reps, more swings, more ground balls, more everything. And ultimately put us in a better position mm-hmm. because our game is so like based on doing it over and over and over again until you can't get it wrong. That's right. And I mean, if you look at the, you know, those games at the Olympics, I mean, everybody was tight. Like, yeah, it, they really were like that. Honestly, it was the, most closely contested Olympics ever. I yeah, other than our first game against um, Canada, I would say all right. the games were pretty close. <laughs> all right, we came out and we had we had I think we didn't have the first game, but we had um, a very interesting first day. We were like, "Who is this team? Where did we come from? What is going on?" <laughs> uh, we beat Canada to get here. Like, how are we not putting up a fight? And then we kind of settled in. We played Japan, went into extra innings. Uh, played really tight with USA, but I think it really does show you like just how good the talent was mm. all around. Like even Japan, like normally they smash everyone. Like right. they just are like not even human at that point on the field. And to see like so many teams come so close to beating them, like mm. even USA, like, I mean, Canada had an incredible game with them, like really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a tight game with them. Japan obviously lost to them in the first round and then came back and beat them. So just all around was so competitive and it was just so interesting being there. Like, cause we had played each other forever. Like we all have played each other multiple times right. throughout yeah. multiple years. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're like on the biggest stage and it's the same people you've been playing for the past six years. So it was very interesting to say the least. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, having to play in front of no fans too, uh, of course, I mean, uh, man, it had and to be weird. Not only that, but we went into that, uh, Japan trip. So we went about three weeks before the game started. That's and right too, at yes. the time, yeah, we we trained in uh, Onomichi, which we had been previously, but we were going to have up to 10,000 fans in every venue. Mm. Like each venue had a specific amount of fans set to come watch the games. And while we were in Onomichi, we had um, uh, an alert like come to us from our translator that said that they were back in a national emergency and no fans would be allowed at the game. So that was a heartbreaker. Not only can we not have our families there now, which was hard, was going to be really hard, but playing with no fans, just, I don't think people understand like how much energy the, the fans can or can't bring to a game and just how that really can affect like what's going on in the game. Mm -hmm. It was just so interesting. Like it was dead quiet there. Like I thought the world series was quiet 
the Olympics was just crickets. Well, like, I, know. I swear, watching I it, could hear from watching, a mile away. watching it on TV, like you could hear you guys communicating, and mm-hmm. I thought, I actually, I love that that <laughs> being able to hear that because you know, right, just right. you know being such a fan of the game and playing the game myself. I mean, I love hearing those little nuances that, you know, we get to hear, but, uh, yeah, that was one, that was the biggest thing I, I liked about it. Yeah. Now that you say that, that is a really cool perspective to have. Like, even though there were no fans, like it was quiet. So you can hear some of the best in the game, like Mm -hmm. talk about what's going on and like what's happening in the game. But for us, I remember just like, like standing by the fence and I'm like, Oh my God, I could like probably have a conversation with the other team right now. <laughs> like while we're in our respective dugouts and yeah. like, so it, true. you know, like just the nuances of the game of like, um, of like, you know, chants and cheers, like, Hey, here we go. Eight, like, here we go. Like yeah. if your team wasn't constantly providing that energy or the other team wasn't doing anything at the same time, it was so quiet. Like the crack of the bat could sound like a gun like that's how like silent it was in there and the stadium like i can't even begin to tell you how big the second stadium that we played in was oh right yes it i think it held up to like a hundred and fifty thousand people that's crazy and the only people in the stands were people that worked the olympics right like mostly photographers right oh yeah Yeah. photographers some media and then there were like some like presidents of the um the IOC that they could come and watch, obviously. And then you could have, I think, like a couple members of your your um your federation come to the right. game and like watch as a fan because they're already in Japan and they're going to different events. But yeah, like as a as a player, like you couldn't really do anything. Like we were in the village or we were at the field, like couldn't explore, we couldn't go outside of the doors without our passes, like it was very strict and it was very different. I would say, obviously I don't have another Olympic experience to compare it to, but just the experience of it all I can tell was very kind of watered down because of COVID. Mm. But at the same time, like no one will ever experience the the Olympics that we did. So we are definitely part yeah. of a very small group that experienced the, the chaos of a uh, COVID Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about, Athletes Unlimited. Yeah, I have go. I have nothing but love for that league. I oh, me oh, too. <laughs> you've been there since day one. I mean, day one. What's it meant for you to be playing these last three seasons in AU? I just, I man, I don't even have enough words in my vocabulary to express how much AU means to me. And I think a lot of people would say the same thing as mm-hmm. as professional softball players, like as a league, like, or as a professional athlete, like we have never been treated like professional athletes before AU came along. Like, and that's sad to say, because we're the best of the best at our sport and we are the equivalent of the MLB yet. We're still paying for our training equipment. We're still paying for, you know, cage fees or, um, going to the field, like getting on, asking somebody to unlock it, like all of these things. And, being provided with equipment that fits you well, that performs well, um, having a space, a locker room that's big enough to actually house everyone and to keep your stuff there. Like even the little things that people that aren't 
in sports would be like, yeah, like, duh. Yeah. Of course you yeah. would get that. Like we didn't have that. And so to come to AU in COVID was crazy. I have no idea how we pulled that off, honestly, but I know <laughs> so much goes to the behind the scenes people. They were working their butts off like for a year and a half to make this all happen. And then on top of that, having to deal with COVID and all the rules and regulations and mandates and all of these things, it really did suck in the sense of we had to change the plan. But in the end, 2020 was my favorite year of AU so far because we were in a bubble and we were forced to get to know one another and mm -hmm. hang out with one another and be present because we didn't have anywhere else to be. The whole entire world was shut down and we were getting to do what we loved and getting paid to play and getting paid fairly to play and doing all of these things. And it really just, I think, helped all of us grow our respect for one another as, as competitors, as friends. And not only that, but to play softball, like that softball that we played was amazing, mm. especially coming off of not having the training sessions that we normally have with everything being shut down and um, just so many factors going into it. But it has been just so fun. And I think it reignited a lot of people's love for the game, mine included, and just being in a space where you don't feel like you're being kind of like bogged down by coaches or people giving you their opinion or anything like that. Like you are truly playing and having fun, like mm -hmm. all the themes and everything we did, like that was all done by us because we were bored and we didn't know what to do. And we we're like, let's make this fun while we're here. Like, let's just enjoy it. Let's have a team name. Let's have a theme. Let's do all this stuff. And even though the point system is individual. Like it is based so much on how you compete as a team. And we figured that out fairly quickly. Right. And so that's when everyone really started to kind of put their all into buying in, in the team aspect. And I think that really has been the difference in different concepts or different leagues or different, different games that have been played is that you're normally focused on yourself. Like I even remember my brother telling me in minor leagues, like it's still a team game, but you're not going to like be mad if your competition is going over four and made an error on defense. Like you're kind of happy that, that, that happened. Oh, but no, that's so in true. The world, that's so true. Yeah. Cause that means you get an advantage. Like if you get a hit and they don't, that puts the, the, the cards in your hand, yep. you know, like you have the upper hand on that. And then, in AU, like you don't want to see anybody do that because then at the end of the day, like if someone on your team is going oh for four and makes an error, like it's probably going to cost you the game. And team points are the most crucial to win because that's how you shoot up the leaderboard. Mm -hmm. And so for us to be able to realize that and kind of like be able to put ourselves almost back in that college mindset of like, okay, this team is the team I'm going to go to war for this week, but to have it change so quickly the next week, and then you have to do it all over again. But it's like, it's this euphoric kind of thing because you're playing the game you love. You're getting paid to play. You're playing with incredible athletes. You're being treated well. You're being fed. You're being accommodated however you need and I, oh man, I just, I have no words to just say what this league has done for not only professional softball, but for myself 
and a lot of countless athletes that have mm-hmm. been in not only softball, but volleyball, basketball, lacrosse, like they've been able to expand. And I think that really shows the dedication that they have to women's sport and not just softball in general, but just to growing the game. And everyone at AU has been just incredible in the way that they have approached the game and how we approach each other, like bringing in the rookies and really teaching them, but also learning from them because everyone brings something to this game. That's why they're at the the point that they're at in their game and just realizing that we don't know it all and mm. we can all learn from each other, become better and thrive and make this league grow. Like we know that right now this league is not as big as it's going to be. And one day, one day softball players can make millions of dollars doing what they love and spend their life preparing to be a professional athlete. Whereas right now we have to have second jobs and Mm -hmm. we have to do all of these things on the side and we can't be full-time athletes. We have to support ourselves in another way, whatever way you choose may be different. Some people have jobs inside softball and some people have, have it outside of softball. So to be able to hopefully one day, say that softball players can make millions of dollars and only be a softball player would be the, the end goal in, in our hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be amazing to see. I, I like, I have no doubt to, I, I feel the way this game is growing. Like I totally agree with you on that. And you know, I, I have a six year old daughter and like that, if that's something that, that she wants to strive to to do, I mean, let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a a big thing too, is like little boys grow up and they're like, I want to be a professional baseball player. And everyone's like, yeah, you can do it. But girls don't often get offered that, that, um, choice because softball has not been a place where people can make millions of dollars and become a household name and be all of these things. Whereas now I feel like we're finally getting some exposure and people who care about not only the game, but us as athletes and how we feel like we can give back to the game and grow the game. Because a lot of times people just throw their money into it and try to build it the way that they think that it should be built. But the only people that are going to be able to grow this game are the people that are currently in it and have been in it and know what it's like to be a softball player and have to struggle to get through life because you can't pay for your bills. And on top of that, be a professional softball player. So I hope that this league brings that dream alive for little girls. Like I remember being in 2008, I think I was in sixth grade and like creating Olympic images of being like the dream team of like me and like, Jenny Finch and Natasha Watley and Crystal Busso, like all these huge players, because that's what I wanted to be. And there was that shot. Then the Olympics got taken away and that dream kind of disappeared. Like, I don't want to have to depend on the IOC to, to vote in softball for these little girls to have huge dreams of athletic pursuits. That's yeah. I am 100% on board with you there. Cause I like the fact that the fact that right now that it's not, in the 2028 games in LA is ludicrous. Beyond. <laughs> like, I have it, no idea what's happening. But yeah, like, but yeah, breakdancing is there. Like, come on. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's so crazy because softball is such an international sport, but to the IOC, it's not international enough, which just because you don't have 
57 teams competing for a spot in the Olympics doesn't mean that it's less difficult Mm. to be at this elite level, right? There's, there's probably like a good 15 teams that are in every single competition worldwide every year for international softball that are vying for these positions and that are pouring their life into this, which I think a lot of sports can say that as well, but Mm. to not be considered a sport yet, this doesn't affect baseball because they have the MLB, like the Olympics is the pinnacle for softball. And to take that away because it doesn't interfere with baseball, because I guarantee if baseball didn't have the MLB, the Olympics, softball and baseball would have never been taken out of the Olympics. Oh, so true. Totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just interesting how it all works out. Yeah. But I, I mean, I know that they're saying like it can like obviously it can still get put in. Right. And right. and I think that like this is just my personal opinion. I think what AU is doing and you know the WPF I think that you know them growing like you guys growing the game even more. I think the the IOC is not going to have a choice because the popularity is going to be there. Right. And I think the biggest thing is to to wait what is the year 2028 2028 yeah <laughs> brain fart uh 2020 <laughs> it's in the u.s right like the u.s has been one of the most decorated softball programs in all of history so how do you not reward like that specific team with a shot to defend their medal and their placing and even shoot for a gold medal when softball is one of the biggest sports in America, Mm -hmm. but they're so worried about like other countries and it not being international enough yet. You only let eight or six teams in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Like there were plenty more that would have loved to have a spot in the Olympics and we're fighting for that, but we only get six. Right. So it's like the international enough reason is just not good enough anymore. Like softball is here to stay. And I think, it's definitely helping for sure that ESPN has picked up with AU and is getting that exposure and ESPN has picked up on top 10 plays. Like we had a couple features on it this, uh, this season, I think last season as well, but just getting the recognition and getting the game out there for more people to fall in love because Meg Aronowitz, uh, from ESPN has a great saying. It's like, um, there's fans of softball and there's people who love it, but they just don't know it yet. Right. So <laughs> she is totally on point there for sure. Absolutely. Well, Tori, I have a, I got a final segment here that I like to do in the podcast. I want to get yes, this absolutely. in. I feel, I feel like we could talk for hours because <laughs> this conversation, <laughs> I mean, we could talk about ball all day, but, uh, I have a final segment called player association. I'm going to, uh, throw out a few names to you. Okay. And, you can say as much or as little about them as you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. First one, Erica Russell. Oh, Erica Russell. That's my best friend. Uh, Erica Russell and I, a funny story. We met uh, junior year. We were both already committed. We had never met each other. And I remember looking at this girl like, she's in high school. <laughs> she's, she looked like she was 13. Very young very rambunctious, crazy girl. Like she's just like free spirit, like just does whatever she wants, can talk to a brick wall. Like one of the best humans I've ever met. And since 
our senior year when we were on the same team together, we went to our new student conference together. I stayed at her house, um, multiple times, like for A&M football visits. Um, like anytime we went to college station, we stayed at her parents' house in Bryan, which is down the road from college station. And we were roommates freshman year. We have gone through so much together. We lived together after college for two years. She moved to Houston. I'm in Houston. We still have a group chat with um, two other teammates from A&M. We have just become really like family at this point. And I don't have enough good things to say about her. And I, But actually, I will say one of the most underrated defensive players in college softball. And I can say yeah. that wholeheartedly because that girl was like a Labrador retriever running down the ball <laughs> in the outfield would literally run from left field to right field to catch any ball and almost nine times out of 10 was going to catch it like just phenomenal. But because she wasn't such a big bat, she really didn't get the recognition that she deserved, but she saved a lot of games out there and just an amazing amazing top 10 person I've ever met. Awesome. Uh, next is Lexi Smith. Oh my gosh, Lexi. She's actually one of the other ones we have a group message with, but, um, we, we call each other lifers cause they're my best friends for life. Um, she is such a funny human, like coming in, she has just the Southern accent, She's like, hi, my name's Lexi Smith and I'm from Temple, Texas, like <laughs> super Southern, like, oh gosh. And she is a workhorse. Like she loves the grind of softball and she would pitch in games with her finger fully busted open and she would have like tape and super glue and new skin and like all these things trying to hold her finger together. And there was this one moment we were playing against Oregon. I think it might've been senior year and we had been undefeated in Palm Springs our entire career. My class was. And so this was like a big weekend for us. If we could go five and zero, we would like continue our streak of being undefeated at Palm Springs, which is a huge feat. Um, and she walked a couple batters in the first few innings and coach Evans walked out there and she said, if you can't do this, you need to tell me if you're going to um, sit here and walk batters, that's not giving our chance, our team the best chance to win. And I know that's what you want. She said, yes, coach, I can do this. And literally went to have, I don't even remember, double digit strikeouts, um, just pitched a hell of a game. And that truly shows just her grit and just her love of being out there and being in the circle. And not only that, but she gave so much time during college to coaching. Um, we, she coached an eight U select team. She coached all summer with, oh, wow. um, yeah, she coached a lot during um, her collegiate time. And then after her um, time at AM for her college career, she stayed on as a GA and worked with Kara Dill in the bullpen a lot and was pretty much on the same wavelength. Like at one point she was calling pitches. And so, hmm. um, well, not necessarily calling them, but giving um, her input of what she thought Coach Dill right. was going to call right. and able to really match up that mindset. And then moved on and got a head coaching job in Jordanton, um, which is near San Antonio, right out of college. And then got a position at, um, Northwestern state in Louisiana. So she's there now as an assistant coach is killing it is just doing so well, has been working really hard with her pitchers and 
um, her family has become like all of our family. So me, Erica, Lexi and Ashley have all like been super tight since college and all of our parents, like they all have a group chat and it's just so fun. Like our dads have a a text chain that's called the girls. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. They're always texting. And we, we went on a father daughter hunting trip and we like just spent so much time together and it's a little harder now that we're all like getting ourselves into the real world, but just a very, very special bond that we will always have. And we really enjoyed our years in college and we're, we're trying to get together again soon. So that's awesome. Awesome. I love hearing like, you know, stories like that where you, you know, you're still as a group. Like I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Two more here. Friend of the show. Sashel Palacios. Oh, my Mexican witch. (laughs) (laughs) So we, all of us Mexico girls, we call call each other the witches. It actually came from um, our coach was mad at us one time because he was doing the laundry and we had gone out to eat and he was like, last call for uniforms. We were like, we're coming, we're coming. And we kind of hit some traffic and we finally made it back to the hotel. We give go downstairs and give him our uniforms and he was like you guys are such witches and he wanted to cut us so bad and he just like held it in and called us witches and we were like we we're making fun of him the next day we were like did you just hear him he called us witches and so we were like yeah we're witches and so then it just be, kind of took off and became a thing like we even have a group chat called the witches and that's what people really know us as. But Sash is one of those people that when you're around her, you never want to leave. Mm-hmm. She is so just exuberant and funny and smart and thoughtful and caring. Like there's just so many descriptions for Sash. And she's another one that I think that doesn't fully get the recognition she deserves as a catcher because man, that girl knows the game and knows catching and takes such pride in being behind the plate and making those connections with her teammates and her pitchers, especially, but she has been such a, um, a solid figure in my life for like six, seven years now, because ever since we started with Mexico, we, we got along pretty fast, like right off the jump and Mm -hmm. just became such good friends. Like I will text her, just randomly and we'll just start FaceTiming for like two hours just to catch up. And we just are, we're so different and that's what makes us so tight because she's just, we always speak in Enneagram terms. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Enneagram, but she's a two on the Enneagram, which is just very thoughtful. It's, uh, they're like, title is called the helper and because they want to help people and they want to make sure everyone else is okay before they are okay. And me, I'm an eight. So like, I'm don't control me. Mine's the challenger. So don't control me. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to do all of these things. I want things to be efficient and fair and all of these things. And I don't let people in, but when you constantly just like chip away at my armor it becomes a lot easier for me to like just pour my soul into you. And I feel like she's one of those people that has been able to kind of chip away at that hard exterior that I have or really did have. Cause I don't feel like I have it much anymore, but mm. she has been one of the people that has really helped me understand like, it's okay to be emotional sometimes. And it's okay to like share your feelings and no one's going to judge you. At least your close friends won't judge you 
and we just really want each other to be better people at the end of the day. And it's hard because she lives in California and I live in Texas. So we don't see each other as often, but we're constantly talking, catching up. I'm asking her about how Char is doing in college, who is now a Bruin, which is a huge thing for their family. I'm what so a pickup excited. for them. Such a big get for mm. them. Wow. Um, but yeah, just like her being around the game and her family, I will say has been a huge, um, a huge stepping stone in kind of getting background of, you know, where I come from because they are like so immersed in their culture and like they speak Spanish to one another. Like they speak more of a Spanglish to one another, but they speak Spanish. They're both fluent or all three of them. Really. They have a little brother as well. His name's Sabian. And so Sabian's Char and Sash, like they have really become like family to me. And even their parents, like I stayed in San Diego with them and then drove up to Arizona where we played. And then I stayed, um, and last winter I stayed with them for a night and like, it's just been so cool, like understanding and hearing their stories of how they grew up and comparing it to how I grew up and realizing like, wow, like this is what, what it would have been like, you know, if my grandparents were alive and like, I would have been around and all of these things. So it's kind of like nostalgic being around them too, because it's like a, what could have been, but they've helped me really tap into my Hispanic culture and really learning to love it and be a part of it. Not just like say I am Mexican, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, Sash was one of my favorite guests, man. She was, oh, she was such a treat to talk to on here. She's the best. Like you could just, she's one of those people that you could just talk to for hours yeah. and like, no matter what you're talking about, you're just so in it. Yeah, absolutely. She's electric. Yeah. Uh, last one, another friend of the show, recently retired, Tooley, Daniel O'Toole. <laughs> That's my girl, man. You picked some great people to talk about. These all have been amazing, but, um, Tooley, I met a little bit later in my softball career and literally from day one, it was just like, oh yeah, she's weird in the best way. Like she is just such a quirky and strong minded and honest friend like she will tell you the hard things when you don't want to hear it yet she'll call you five minutes later crying about a dog that she saw on the side of the road like she just loves (laughs) animals so much and she is literally one of one like Thule has become kind of like we always joke that I'm her and her husband's um (laughs) adopted child (laughs) i'm only like uh two years younger than her but i think it's so funny because they got married right after we uh qualified for the olympics and so she wasn't super close with all of us i think sash was the only one from our team that went to her wedding Mm -hmm. but um we give her a hard time now but i'm like yeah you know um i'm gonna come to your renewed vows and all these things. And I've hung out with them a ton as well. Like I actually spent my birthday in 21 with her and her family at her mom's house for Easter dinner. Cause my birthday fell on Easter and they welcomed me in their home. And, uh, Thule's a fun one too, because we got really close over COVID because her, her husband, and then her little brother, Ryan, we would all play, um, Fortnite together every single <laughs> night. Every single night, <laughs> Fortnite or die. That's what that was our motto. Um, and so we just really got to know each other. And at that point, I had only met, think, 
one time and I'd never met her little brother in person. So it was just like all building this connection through a video game. And when I finally went and met them, like I just felt like they were family from day one and they have such a big family. So they know what it's like to have a million people in their family and just love them all so fiercely. And they do such a great job of really making you feel welcome, especially like I was in California, obviously not from there, didn't have any family there, but we had to go for some Mexico thing we had to do. I don't even remember, but I stayed with them and like we went on hikes and we played with their dog, Purdy, who I will formally adopt if she'll ever let me because I love <laughs> Purdy. Um, that's my little cuddy, cuddle buddy. And yeah, it's just been such a great thing. Like out of everything in my softball career, I would say the best thing has been the people that I've met along the way. And Tuli is definitely one of those people. Like she will be at my wedding 100%. She'll be in the wedding for sure. Um, she just will be my forever friend. And I'm so, so, so thankful she decided to come play for Mexico because regardless that we don't have a medal, I think we really lucked out in the friendship department and the bonds that we created are, I don't think something that we'll ever find ever again. Cause it was that special. Yeah. What a great way to end this, man. Tori, <laughs> this has been fantastic. Like this, honestly, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done, you know, oh my gosh, this has been awesome. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Of course. Yeah. I had so much fun reliving the the glory days. <laughs> yes. But yeah, hey, it's a trip down memory lane. I like to go in chron right, chronological right. order. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But uh, anyway, moving forward, listen, I wish you the best of luck, you know, with where you're broadcasting with AU and anything else that you're going to do. I can't wait to see. Thank you so much. I appreciate your support. And thank you for having me. This was so much fun. It was a nice break from all my packing to kind of <laughs> talk about all the good things and bad things that have happened. It really puts it in perspective. I'm so happy I did this. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I took you away from your from your moving, <laughs> your moving thoughts then. So you too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dory, take care. You too. <laughs> Taking time off from the act and I gotta relax. I need a new beat. Yo, for stroll, I got a few treats. You been up in the city long? Nah. Only two weeks. Cool. Well, sorry about the weather. It's been raining all week. I hope it gets a little better. Either way, class, listen. I got an ill vision by the song I'm working on. You think you got the right rhythm? Man, come on. You know I got some shit that'll break your neck. I used up what I want, but you can take what's left. Don't give me bullshit, dog. You know I blaze the set. You know you got something safe for West. I got an ill concept. Hip hop. I will pay the real long distance. What? 1987. I've been repping in the ciphers in the sessions, and I'll still be getting stressed on the block. You know it's hard to be hip hop. And ain't nobody staying real. But don't pay bills when you showcase skill. Ain't nobody living off of doing windmills or painting train rails. That's real. It's hard to be hip hop. Raps 
ain't real Cause I don't pack steel, do my tracks appeal And to the mass appeal, watch a fast say fail Yeah, I'm hip-hop son until my casket sealed It's hard in the culture when the fans are fickle to understand my issue, yo man will diss you One minute you're whack and then your jam's yeah. official And then they switch again Your bottles of cancer hit you First they loved LL And then they hated him And then they loved him again And they degraded him So lately, basically, I don't know if I can play to win Survival of the fittest Let me see what type of shape yo, I'm in Yo, when I was younger, like 19 I could spend all day writing rhyme schemes Spitting freestyle and cypher in the streets But now I got responsibilities Yo, it's hard to be hip-hop Are you downsizing? Maybe need more room because of additions to the family or possibly seeking that dream home you've always wanted. Well, Tim Eisner at Royal LePage Atlantic is the guy for you. With a proven track record and multiple awards, Tim goes above and beyond to find out your needs and exactly what you're looking for. So if you're seeking a new home or trying to sell your current one, contact Tim at 902-499-5717 or check him out on Facebook at Tim Eisner. Again, that's 902 902- 499-5717. Trust me, when all is said and done, we'll be saying Tim Eisner strikes again.